Summertime happened, didn't it? <laughs> Summertime happened. People went on vacation. But you know what? I was thinking about it as I was sitting out here. I was kind of laughing to myself. It was just maybe three or four months ago when this group of people would have maxed out the room that we were meeting in. Four months ago. I think we've been here just over three months now. So four months ago, you guys, that we feel like a handful maybe right now in this bigger room, we would have blown the doors out and we'd have been like, it's amazing what God is doing. And you know what? It's still amazing what God is doing here in Elevation Church. It's amazing what God is doing outside of Elevation Church, outside of our lives in this community, in other families, in your family, in our church family, in other church families, all over the place. God is at work, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. And you guys are here this morning, and God has a message for you this morning as we wrap up the six-week series that we have been doing called Build the Dream. From the book of Nehemiah, we have been learning how to build God's dreams for us, his individualized, personalized, God-sized dream for you as an individual and his collective dream for us, his church. And so this morning, I'm gonna deliver the message like the house is full, like we're stacking you guys too deep. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're here for a purpose. God brought you here this morning to hear what he has to say. So I'm gonna deliver it to the best of my ability the way that God gave it to me with conviction and passion, and, and, and I hope you guys will receive it with that same kind of passion and really process what God is doing in his dream for you. As we have been going through this series, if we was, uh, we've spent five weeks now checking out the memoirs of our man Nehemiah. We've, we've seen some really cool stuff as Nehemiah kind of received the vision for God's dream for him. He processed that vision, and, and then he went out to go and, and build that dream. And I found that as I looked back over this, there are some principles from Nehemiah's life, from his memoirs, that we can derive and apply in our own lives so that we can build the dream that God has for each and every one of us. Now, as I looked at them, I had a lot of fun with this because I, I was able to do a, a pastor trick. You know, pastors like little, you know, word tricks because it helps people remember stuff and it makes us sound like we, you know, are maybe a little bit cooler than we are and that doesn't take much with me. But I found all of these, these principles, I could find a word that started with P. So now they're the P principles. We got these P principles from Nehemiah for building God's dream. The P principles are this, passion, patience, prayer, preparation, planning, persistence, and participation. I'm an Aggie, I lost count because we had more than one hand's worth, right? But we have all of these P principles that we can take from Nehemiah's memoirs from this Old Testament book from this story of a man who was a captive and a slave who received a God-sized dream and who went out and built that dream. And these are the things that he did that I can say really made a difference in the building process. So I wanna go back through these real quickly. We've covered them over the last five weeks, but we've never looked at all of them together. So before we even engage in chapter six of Nehemiah, which is where we're headed today, let's recap these P principles. If you got a pen, you might wanna write these down because you might want to refer back to them later during your building process. The first P, passion. We found that Nehemiah had a passion for God's dream, his plan for him. When Nehemiah heard about the condition of the wall and the city of Jerusalem, way back in chapter one, first rattle out of the box, Nehemiah's hanging out 
doing his thing, and he hears about what Jerusalem is like. A hundred years after it was conquered and captured, a hundred years after his ancestors were hauled away, Nehemiah's never set foot there. He doesn't really know anybody that lives there, but he hears about the condition of the walls. They've been burned with fire, torn down, and never rebuilt. And the temple is basically out of commission. And Nehemiah's heart broke. He got passionate about this problem that he saw. He says that he even cried. He wept about it. I'd say that's passion. He was so passionate about hearing about the plight of this people he had never known, this city he had never been to. He was so passionate that he he cried about it. He he wept. It, It absolutely broke his heart. I think that we can take passion as one of the first indicators of a possible purpose for our lives. Now, you can't run off and pursue everything you're passionate about as if it is God's purpose, his dream for you. Because I'm passionate about a lot of things that are probably not God's purpose for me. Like I'm a passionate outdoorsman. I love to hunt and fish. And the longer you hang around here, the more you'll hear about it. But I love to go out and do that. And I have a passion for doing that. It's a recreational passion that I pursue. Certainly that is not God's dream for me. I don't believe he called me to be a professional archer or or a professional marksman or a professional fisherman. He he didn't make that the purpose of my life. I can have fun with it, but, but I do think we can take these passions that we have and let them begin to be a director or an indicator for the potential of our purpose, what God's planted inside of us. Some things that we're passionate about are not God's dream, but some things that we're passionate about, if we pursue those a little ways, we might discover God's dream for us because the individualized, God-sized, personalized dream, the one thing, the, the big thing he's got you on this earth for, he doesn't reveal that to us in the pages of scripture. He tells us what his collective dream for us, the church is, but he doesn't tell you your personal dream. You have to discover that through the process of walking with Christ, following God over time. And so I think that if you start to check your passions, you might find some direction for your dream. Patience, the second P principle. Nehemiah was a very patient man. Nehemiah practiced patience after he had the passion. He received that that bad news about Jerusalem. He had that passionate moment. He broke down and cried. But Nehemiah said he sat down. One of the beauties of sitting down, it kept him from going off and pursuing the dream right away, pursuing this thing he was passionate about immediately. And he patiently allowed God to develop fully the vision and to really check and see, is this something that God has for me or is this something that I just kind of want to go and do on my own? I call it the difference between a Todd dream and a God dream. I mean, you got to fill in your own name in the blank, but if I go out and pursue the Todd dream and, and I'm not patient enough to discover if it's a God dream, I might waste a lot of my life. And I think a lot of people waste a lot of time. They waste a lot of energy They waste a lot of money. They waste a lot of all of their resources in pursuit of things that are not God's dream for them, but their dream for themselves. And so Nehemiah was patient, and he waited for God's green light. While he was being patient, Nehemiah prayed, our third P principle, prayer. He prayed, and as he prayed, Nehemiah was seeking to align his head and his heart with God's head and God's heart. He wanted to align his thoughts and his passions with God's plan and purpose for him. Nehemiah prayed and fasted, he said, for many days. 
And in that fasting, that going without, he leaned more on God. He leaned harder, pressed closer into God so that he could really hear what the Holy Spirit was saying to him, could really align his thoughts with God's thoughts, his heart, his passions, his desires with God's plans for his life. Nehemiah practiced patience. He practiced prayer. And Nehemiah did the prep work. He did the preparation. The preparation was the kind of the research, the study, the discovering what is going to take to build this dream. We're taught that we should count the cost. We should know what is required when we set out to do something. He had to do the prep work and figure out what it was going to take. He needed to know when was the right time to get going. He needed to discover where it was that God was taking him, how he would get there, and how he would accomplish the work. And more than anything, Nehemiah needed to know why. All of those things are things that we can discover in the prep work, the being patient, the getting in prayer, and then the personal legwork that we can do, the preparation as we seek out the different means, the opportunities, the methods, the ways, but most importantly, the why, the heart behind what we do in pursuit of God's plan, his purpose, his dream for us. Nehemiah then began to plan as he went through this process, he remember as he went through the prep work, then he, he knew it was the time to go and see King Artaxerxes. He recruited King Artaxerxes into the vision. Artaxerxes sent him to go do his thing. And, and when he arrived in Jerusalem, he spent three days just kind of checking things out. He rode around the city. He didn't announce his arrival. He kind of made a, 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 the entourage kind of hang out and stay out of sight. And he went into the city on the DL, stayed on the down low. He, he checked the city out. He made notes. He made a plan, and, and as he developed this plan, the plan was to make sure that as the building process went on, that Nehemiah would stay on track with what God had for him, that he wouldn't get diverted by doing something else, even some good thing that might get presented to him. And if you are like me, and you have set off to do something without a plan before, uh, a little adage my dad taught me years ago, it is very real, and you've discovered it too. It's that if you fail to plan, then you might as well just plan to fail. And I have failed in many things in my life because I failed to plan right off the bat. And as I started to pursue whatever that thing I was set out to do, I'm kind of like a fireman. A friend of mine told me I'm a fireman one time. He said, whatever fires pop up, I'm tempted to just run off and go put out this fire or that fire. And, and, and I'm, I'm distracted easily by other opportunities. Sometimes they're good things, sometimes they're not. But if they pop up and, and, and it looks like fire and it's burning and smells like smoke, then I like to go and put the fire out. And here I am chasing a rabbit trail right now, putting out fire while I'm trying to talk to you about a plan. That's why I put sticky notes in my Bible. I have a plan. I'm going to stick to the plan today. See, you got to have a plan or whenever a fire pops up, whenever a rabbit trail presents itself, if you're like me and like a lot of other people, you might start pursuing the wrong thing. But if you have the plan, you know that you can stick with what God has called you to do. Persistence. Oh man, Nehemiah ran into all kinds of troubles along the way. Remember our naysaying knuckleheads, the unholy trinity who came against him, and it seemed like in every chapter after chapter two, these naysaying knuckleheads pop up and they try to get Nehemiah to stop building the dream. They try to break the dream down before it can ever be built. The first thing they tried to do was, was just intimidate Nehemiah. 
Oh, you shouldn't do this. I mean, you know, whatever. Don't, don't, you know, it, it would be bad. I mean, you're never going to be. They tried to intimidate Nehemiah, calling him names. They tried to intimidate Nehemiah, saying that the wall would break down if even a fox got on it. They tried to intimidate Nehemiah by recruiting others, other bullies like them. They got the whole, all four of the different peoples that surrounded the city of Jerusalem on their side. They intimidated the fool out of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah didn't get intimidated. He persevered. Because he had a plan. When they couldn't intimidate Nehemiah, they tried to intimidate, intimidate Nehemiah's team. See, wherever there is a dream being built, there will be dream destroyers coming against the dream builders. We've got to have persistence to stay the course, to stick to the plan. Doing these P principles, as you can see, is important if we're going to build the dream. The final P principle, participation. Nehemiah had to build the team so he could build the dream. When he got his plan laid out and he saw what he needed to do and he had the resources and, and everything was in place, before he started building, Nehemiah gathered the people of the city of Jerusalem and he shared his dream with them. He cast a vision for what God wanted done, for what he believed his purpose was, and he recruited these people in the city of Jerusalem into the dream. They were going to build the dream he led, they worked. They did the, the labor. They were the, the muscle behind the dream building process. See, you've got to get participation in the dream building before you can ever build anything of any consequence. Because if you go out to build a dream and you don't need anybody else, it's not a God-sized dream. That would be a Todd size or fill in the blank with your name dream. That's your own purpose, your own passion that you're in pursuit of. When we go to build a God-sized dream, it's not going to require just us. It's going to require us and, and other people, but most importantly, and God. You've got to receive that vision from him, and you've got to go back to him along the way. As you develop all of these P principles, you have the passion, it comes from God, the patience to listen to what the Lord has to say. Prayer as you align your heart with his. Preparing so that you know you count the cost. Planning so that you know that you can stick with what God's plan is throughout this. Being persistent in spite of the, the dream destroyers, knowing that your God is bigger than them. And then building that team of people and including them in the team that God is leading through you. So you want people to follow you in your dream building process as you follow God. They want to, you need them to follow you as you follow God. That's what I mean by participation, building the team to build the dream. These powerful P principles, I would say that no dream is ever built without these principles being a part of the process, without these principles really undergirding the entire work. These principles are that powerful. Nehemiah practiced them God compelled him to put these things down in his memoirs so that you and I could learn from them and we could begin to apply them in our dream building process. And that is the purpose of this whole series is for you to be able to identify that dream, to discover that dream that God has for you. What is his purpose for you? specifically. Because again, I believe that you're here even this morning with specific intent. I believe God brought you here to begin to understand, identify, and build the dream, the purpose that he has for you. Since we're going to build this dream collectively as the church, since we're going to build our dreams individually, 
Let's find out what happened to Nehemiah's dream build. When we left him last week, Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem were working away with spears and swords in one hand and trowels and bricks and mortar in the other, right? I mean, these guys were building the wall while trying to face down the enemy. They were hard at work in pursuit of the dream, building the dream, the wall around Jerusalem. And they're working hard. And let's see what happens here in chapter 6. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. I'm going to read like almost the entire chapter 6 right now. But hang with me and listen to what's going on because we're going to break this down and analyze it a little bit after I finish reading this. So here we are, Nehemiah chapter 6. They're about to finish the wall. Let's see what's going on. 6 verse 1. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come and let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Let that one sink in for a minute. On the plain of Ono. Ono. Oh no. That's what Nehemiah said, because they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and it cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. These guys are practicing some of the P principles too, right? Persistence. Four times they tried to draw Nehemiah offside. They tried to pull him off the wall. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, because he is a fountain of knowledge and of truth, right? Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. See, these guys are trying to draw Nehemiah off the wall. Their dream-destroying ways have failed up to this point. The wall has been built. The only thing left to do is hang the, the doors on the hinges at the gates. These guys are ratcheting up the heat because they're desperate to destroy the dream. They can see that Nehemiah is, is, is approaching the, what we call the red zone in football. Are you guys football fans? Anybody? Anybody football? Yes? Amen? Yes? Football. As long as it doesn't interfere with church, right? As long as it doesn't interfere with church, right? The football. I love football. I played football. I watch football. I love football. And when a team gets down to the red zone, they're driving the ball, right? And they're, they're down to the 20-yard line. They're about to score. The goal line is right in front of them. They can see it. The defense ratchets things up. See, the, the offense has a red zone offense that's specially designed to take them those last 20 yards. That's the hardest yardage on the field. It's actually easier to score from the 25 or 30-yard line, in many cases, than it is to score from inside of the 20-yard line. The closer to the goal, the more the defense ratchets up. The offense has special plays, so does the defense. I was a defensive player in football in high school, and I know that's going back a long ways, but bear with me. Those are my glory days, and I'm trying to relive them, okay? So I was a defensive player, and I loved it. I loved it when we got to get in our, in our red zone defense. 
And, you know, my job as a defensive tackle was to get on the ground and, and, and just blow through the line. I just had to blow stuff up and make a mess. I had no specific assignment but make a mess. That's fun. When you got freedom like that in a football game, I didn't have to cover a specific game. I just needed to make a mess, make it difficult on the offense to get anything done. These guys are trying to blow up the dream. They're trying to make it difficult for Nehemiah. They're trying to make it difficult for the citizens of Jerusalem to drive those last few yards, to put the ball over the goal line and to claim victory. They're messing up the works. They're pulling out every stop. What does Nehemiah do? I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not get completed. Nehemiah did not get called off the wall. He could not be distracted from the goal. How many times in your life, how many times in my life, have we been in pursuit of some worthwhile goal and some naysaying knucklehead, some distracting uh, 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 opposition came against us, and instead of going after the goal, we got distracted by this person or this problem, and when they send you a letter like that, like what Nehemiah got, how many times do you sit down and bang out like a 10-page scathing reply, right? You invest hours and a ton of emotional energy all just to rebuke them and tell them what idiots they are and how brilliant you are. And all the while, they have won a victory because they've called you off the wall. They've gotten in the way. They've made a mess. They've just kept you from achieving your goal. And every moment they delay that accomplishment, they get a little closer to keeping you from accomplishing it at all. Nehemiah would not be called off the wall. He prayed, now strengthen my hands. I love that. That's a little prayer we should all remember when we get busy in a building project and the naysaying knuckleheads and frankly, just the, just the normal things that go wrong in the midst of a building project. When those things happen, stop and pray, now strengthen my hands. Circle your people in prayer, that team that you've built to build the dream. Pray around them. Strengthen, Lord, their hands. Keep their heads in the game. Keep their hearts aligned with yours. Keep me, God, attuned to you so they can follow me as I follow you. Verse 10, Nehemiah says, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Oh boy, Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me, should a man building a dream, should a man with a purpose, should a man called by God with a mission from him, should a man like me, Go into the temple? Run away? Go into the temple to save his life? I got something bigger than that. I got something bigger than me. If it costs me my life, so be it. But Nehemiah didn't believe it was going to cost him his life. He said, I will not go. I realized, he says, that God had not sent him. He was not a prophet. But he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. 
He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would not com- so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. See, Nehemiah's getting it from all angles at this point. The enemy has ratcheted up the heat. If they can't intimidate him, if they can't intimidate his people, maybe they can get him to do something sinful and they can get him off base and discredit him so that nobody will follow him. Because when he stops following God, he stops becoming somebody who's worthwhile of being followed. So if they can just get Nehemiah to cross that line into sin, to, to, to go into the temple, into a place that he was not to go, to hide in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in a, in a place that was reserved for the priests, if they could do that, then maybe they could get the people to stop following Nehemiah and they could stop the good work. Verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God. Here he goes with one of those was that precatory prayers again? Remember them because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Nehemiah did not get called off the wall. He would not be lured away. Brother couldn't catch a break. I mean, from day one, it seems like. Or actually, from the time he set off to Jerusalem. Right? From the time he took that fully developed vision and began to walk in it, to begin that building process, the naysaying knuckleheads have been there all the way. There have been trials and tribulations, problems, all kinds of things. Nehemiah could not be called off the wall. He could not have his pursuit broken. He would not be intimidated. He would not allow his team to be intimidated. Remember, they got to the team. Ten times they came to me and said, wherever we go, wherever you look, wherever you station us, they're going to kill us. And Nehemiah prayed around them, prayed for them, put spears and swords in one hand and a trowel in the other and said, let's go back to work. Come on, let's get back to work. And they did. So Nehemiah couldn't be intimidated. His team wouldn't be intimidated. He couldn't be lured away. They couldn't break the build. Nehemiah's dream building is really not that different from our own, is it? If you've ever been in pursuit of a worthwhile dream, a God-sized dream, some part of the building process got problematic for you. Naysayers, knuckleheads, intimidators, playground bullies, in-laws, parents, friends, people came against you. Sometimes because they love you and they didn't understand what you were in pursuit of and they were just trying to protect you. Sometimes because they really don't love you, didn't care about you, but had an ulterior motive. They needed to stop the building process for their own purpose. They needed to interrupt your purpose to fulfill their own. And that purpose was not a purpose given to them by God, but by a very real enemy that exists and who the Bible says is like a lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. And if you're in a dream-building mode, if you're in pursuit of God's dream for you, you're a prime-time prey. It's like, T-bone to a lion. That's what we're like. Fresh meat, baby. 
See, when you, when you go in pursuit of that dream, when you take up your tools and you start to build what God has called you to build, be who God has called you to be, the enemy will come against you and try to intimidate you. The enemy will come against you and try to distract you and derail you. The enemy will come against you and just try to make such a mess of your line of scrimmage that you can't run a play, you can't get off a pass, you can't even complete a handoff or make a yard because you're so bogged down in the mess that he's created right there in front of you. That's why these P principles are so important because if we're going to build in the midst of all of this, if we're going to drive that ball those last few yards, not settle for a field goal, but really press hard. How many of y'all are frustrated football fans when you watch your team drive down to like the 11-yard line? They run one decent play. They don't get where they want to go with that. So they do two handoffs up the middle and kick a field goal. They let the mess mess them up. They stop pursuing the dream. They settled for a Todd-sized, a your-sized dream instead of the God-sized dream. They took half as much and settled. Nehemiah never settled. And we're not to settle as we pursue what God has called us to pursue, no matter how ugly the mess in front of us gets, no matter how personal the enemy makes it. We can't get distracted by the smack talk. That was one of my favorite things when I played football. I'd line up across from some guy, get down to my three-point stance. I was smaller than him by the time I was playing in high school. I was bigger than them in junior high, and life was easy. By high school, I had to play dirty. So I'd get down there, you know, I, I, I confess it. I, I'd get down, and I would just start talking to him. I'd talk about his mama. I, I mean, I'd t I, whatever it took to get in that dude's head. I'd tell him how I was going to hit him with a right hand up under his chin. I'll get right inside that. I'm not afraid of you. I'd just, I just jabber, just smack talk. See if I could get him distracted. See, because if I could get a half a second, a tenth of a second jump before he moved because he was thinking about what I said, or if I could get him to react this way when I knew I was going that way, I win. That's what the enemy's trying to do. He's smack talking some of you. Some of you, he's got you looking at the clock. You're like the quarterback under center, and you look up, and the play clock is like three, two. Oh my goodness, I'm never going to get the playoff. And you call a timeout. You pause when God wanted you to drive. Some of us, we're afraid to fail. We're like the coach on the sideline who went for the one play, didn't work, handoff twice, and kicked the field goal because you're afraid to fail on a big scale so you'll settle for a limited success. Some of us, and I think many of us in this room might fit this more accurately, are afraid to succeed. Let that one settle in for a minute. I think one of the biggest problems many of us face is we're afraid of the success. What happens if I do achieve this goal? What happens if I do build God's plan, his purpose in my life? What then? How big does this get? How frightening would that be? We get called off the wall. We get bogged down in the process and in the mess. Nehemiah wouldn't get called off the wall. He said, oh no, when they called him out to the plains of Ono. Oh when they threw that mess down in front of him, they tried to lure him out, they smack-talked him, intimidated him, they did all of those things. Nehemiah said, oh no. And that is what we should say too. 
I love the fact that God allowed that to be called the plain of Ono because it sets up such a perfect example. And I want you to remember that. When you think about that dream building process, when you're in that dream building process, when you are in the midst of it and everything in the world is going wrong and people are coming against you and situations you can't explain are happening that are distracting to you, that are trying to get in the way, that are just messing up the works, say, oh no, and stay building. Keep swinging. Take up your sword or your spear in one hand. Keep your trowel in the other and build through the mess. Because in verse 15, the dream is done. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. In 52 days, Nehemiah and his dream team built what had not been able to be built in a hundred years years. They built a dream so much bigger than they could have imagined. Remember the graphic we showed last week of the wall? 4.9, 4.5, whatever it was, miles. However many feet high, however many feet thick. A hundred years had passed since it was torn down and burned with fire. People had tried. People had wanted. They had wished. But nobody had gone to build God's dream until Nehemiah showed up. And in 52 days, they did the impossible, the unfathomable, the unthinkable, unbelievable. They built the dream, and the dream was done. 52 days. Earlier in the series, I said that this dream building project would have a deadline. I knew then what it was. Maybe you did too. Maybe you didn't. I bet if you didn't, you never dreamed it would be 52 days. Building a wall like that must take months, maybe years. I mean, I don't know. They can't build the roads in Flower Mound and Highland Village and Louisville and all over Dallas-Fort Worth. 52 days? Are you kidding me? They'll have armies of hundreds, sometimes thousands of workers out there. Well, I say workers, they're employees anyway, okay? I'm just, and if you're a road worker, man, God bless you. You do a hard job, and I'm sure you're not the ones I see standing on the side of the road, you know, sipping whatever while, while the other three work, right? But I'm just saying, 52 days. They did a public works project like has never been done since. When I look at those P principles and how Nehemiah applied them, I can categorize them two ways. I hope you got the P principles written down. Write these two categories down now because I think as you build your dream and as we collectively build God's dream that is this church, these categories will be important. Number one, Nehemiah got involved. Nehemiah was involved. From the very beginning, Nehemiah used involvement to build the dream. He was involved in the process all of the way through. Not just at the beginning when he received the vision, when he found the passion, when he began to, to pray and prepare. Nehemiah was involved 
when he went and did the planning. Nehemiah was involved when he got the people, built the team, recruited them. Nehemiah was involved when everybody came against them. Nehemiah was involved all through the process, all the way to the end when they hung the last hinge on the last door in the last gate. Nehemiah was involved. And all along the way, as he was involved, he also involved God, and he involved others. Remember, in the process of involvement, it's not just you staying engaged and involved in the dream-building process. It's that you have to involve God. You have to pray. You have to bathe this thing, circle this thing in prayer. Pray constantly. Pray without ceasing. Pray passionately for God to build the dream, to continue to keep you on track and on purpose, to give you confidence, to strengthen your hands. Involve God in the building process or you'll build whatever you're building in vain. Involve others because God's dreams are bigger than you. They are bigger than you and they are bigger than me. Even his individualized, personalized, God-sized dream for you is bigger than you. Way bigger than you. And maybe the reason God hasn't revealed it to you yet is because you're not yet ready to share that dream by involving more than yourself, but also by involving God and involving others, building that team to build the dream. Involved. Not getting distracted. Not getting pulled away. Not chasing other dreams. Not letting things cause him to quit when they got ugly and tough. Not getting bored and bolting. Not assuming that someone else would do it if he didn't. He stayed involved all through the process. Nehemiah brought his talents. Nehemiah brought his skills. Nehemiah brought his proximity to the king. He brought all of the the tools, the talents, the, the gifts, the skills, the abilities that he had to the table. He brought wisdom. He brought leadership. He brought it all and he poured every bit of it. He involved all of himself in the building of God's dream for him. Are you involved? Are you involved in the building of your own individualized, God-sized, personalized dream? Have you involved God in that? If you don't know what that dream is, what that purpose is, have you even asked the one who gave it to you? I mean, he designed you a specific intent. I didn't. You could ask me, and I might be able to help you discover some aspect of it. You could ask other wizened leaders in your life and and people, but have you asked the one who designed you, who put that specific intent into you, who placed you in this time, in this place, with that purpose? Have you asked him? Have you involved God? If you have and you know what it is, and maybe you've turned away from it, or maybe you're just not in hot pursuit today, Why not? Why are you uninvolved in the pursuit of your dream? Have you involved others? Are you trying to build it all by yourself and maybe you've become worn out or distracted by the mess in front of you that the enemy who's defending his position has placed there to stop you and distract you? Are you involved in the collective dream, the building of God's church, this church, Elevation Church, since this is the place where God has you? Are you involved in building this dream? Or are you just coming here and enjoying the dream as others build it? See, there's a difference between being a a, a consumer and a contributor. Consumers go to movies, watch the movie, 
drink a Coke, eat some popcorn, and they leave the movie. And sometimes they go and tell other people the movie was good. But they have consumed a movie. Actors are involved in the movie. Directors are involved in the movie. Those little guys they call grips that I'm not sure what they do, but they're always in the, in the credits for, I don't know. They're involved in the movie. They help make the movie. Makeup artists are involved. Costume people are involved. There's all kinds of people who get involved in the making of a movie. You only see a handful of the involved people when you watch the movie on the screen. The film only shows you a small percentage. And then there's that big screen of credits that rolls afterwards while we're all leaving and we don't even know who those people were. But they were just as vitally important in that production as the lead actor, the director, or the producer. Elevation Church is kind of like that movie. Any church is kind of like that movie. There's an event that happens once a week. It's a worship gathering. It's what we're doing right now. But there's a lot of things that go on to make this event happen that you never see, that you don't even know about. There's people who are involved that you may not even know their faces or their names. You may never see the people who work upstairs with our children if you don't have a child that's up there or around the corner over here in our, in our little kids area if you're not checking in and out a toddler. You don't know that there's a volunteer from Studio B that comes here and opens the doors for us and maybe helps us with technical things. You don't know that people arrive here a couple of hours ahead of time on a Sunday morning and bust their tails, pour out sweat, sometimes blood, <laughs> to make sure that we can just do this. And because you don't know and you never see it, you don't know how to be involved maybe in that process yourself. You don't realize that God has given you a skill set, gifts, talents, abilities, time, resources that are required in the building of this dream. So to help you wrap your minds around it, to get a mental image, a visual picture for what this looks like, we spent a couple of weekends shooting a little bit of video. Y'all check out this two and a half minutes that explains briefly what goes into a Sunday morning here. And that really is just a little piece of the pie. It shows a little bit of the involvement that people are already bringing to the building of Elevation Church. There are things that go on outside of the Sunday morning. We could have shot video for days, for weeks. We could have made an hour-long movie out of this. We didn't. I wanted to give you a snapshot. So maybe you would see somewhere in there something that registers with you. Maybe you know you have a God-given gift. You have a passion, something you're good at. You have a skill. You have a talent. You have some resource that in seeing that little clip, you know you can bring to the equation to make this church all that God's designed it to be. That you can participate in that process by getting involved and bringing what God has brought to you back to him involving yourself in the building of his church. Build something bigger than yourself. If you're going to invest in building something bigger than yourself, what better building project than God's church? Nehemiah was involved. Nehemiah also practiced one other thing, this other aspect, this other category of the P principles. And I'm going to hit the fast forward button here because I've gone long. Nehemiah invited. Nehemiah invited people into his process. He invited God. He invited Artaxerxes. He invited 
the people in Jerusalem. He invited others into his building project because he knew what he was building was bigger than himself. It would be more, uh, it would last longer than he would. It would stand stronger than he could. It would require more than he had in him to build what God had put on his heart to build. He involved others. And when I look at the church that God has called us to build, when I think about the mission that God has given me and you, now I look at the empty chairs. And I think about how many people live out there that I've not yet invited into this great thing that God is doing, this big dream that God is building. See, we're a family here. We are God's family. And there are folks who are outside of that family who are hurting, who don't have the things that we have because we have a family, a church. They don't have the love, the support. They don't have the, the, the people surrounding them when things go wrong, the people who are praising with them when things go right. They don't have people who are willing to do life alongside them, to share the joys and the, and the happiness and, and, and also the sad and the hard times. They don't have anybody to send a prayer request to when something happens like this week we sent a prayer request out because Roy Bronder's mother passed away. They traveled up to New York, that's why they're not here this weekend, to go to her services. And, and they were hurting, and, and in their hurt, they asked that we, their church family, would pray for them. Mike, we hadn't seen, we hadn't seen Mike like a month and a half around here. Mike Ramsey's a great guy who loves this church family and wants to be involved in this church family. Mike has been unemployed for over a year. He's picked up a part-time job retail to help him make ends meet at home and and Mike has missed church because he has to work but Mike has asked that we continue to lift him up and pray for him and provide that that God would provide for him an opportunity and right now Mike sent me an email late last night that he has an opportunity he's going to be interviewing in San Francisco later this week Uh, it's a third interview with a company he's been interviewing with this is what a family does We lift each other up in prayer. We support one another. We meet one another's needs. We do all of these things, 35 plus one another statements in the New Testament. And there are people who live outside, out in that community out there, outside of this family who don't have any connection. A 2010 survey of our community said two out of three that live here aren't connected to God's family. 2010, that wasn't long ago. That's pretty recent. That's pretty solid numbers. And I think that's why God planted us here with this passionate purpose to build this dream that is Elevation Church. There's great churches in our community and they're going to reach some of those people, but they're not reaching some others. And I think that's the niche that we feel is reaching this community with the love of Christ and bringing them in, inviting them into the family of God to receive the greatness that God has given each one of us. I think about what Nehemiah invited people to. He invited them to blood, sweat, and tears, hard stuff, work, labor, provided some protection. We knew the protection wasn't perfect because that wall had already been destroyed once when the city was overtaken. We can invite people into this family of God and provide them with perfect protection that will never fail. 
the song that they sang a little while ago, your love never fails, right, Jim? Isn't that what it said? Your love, God's love never fails. If we are in the family of God, his love never fails us. It's provided for us security for all eternity. It will never be conquered, never be taken away. No matter what the enemy does to try to distract or derail, once you enter into that family of God, once you trust Jesus as your Savior, it can never be taken away. And there are people who are dying and going to hell today in our community who have never been invited into that family. We can do something about that. That's a problem that I think is, is not okay. It's unacceptable. We have a purpose. We have a, a plan. We can be persistent. We need to involve ourselves and involve others, and now we need to invite people into this family to build this thing, this church, to receive the, the, the salvation message of Jesus and to operate as part of the family, to have the benefits and the, the beautiful things that we have as part of his church. And so my challenge that God gave me personally through the book of Nehemiah, through this study, through this series that we've done, is that I need to do a better job of involving and inviting. I need to be more involved myself, and I need to help all of you get involved. I need to invite you into involvement, and I need to invite others out there to come into the family of God. And so what I want to do, what I believe God has given me is a way for us to all get engaged in involving and inviting is this. Over the next week, some of you are ready to leave right now because you know something big's coming. Y'all are afraid of success. Hold on, here we go. This next week, I'm gonna challenge all of us to do what Nehemiah did. I want us to fast and pray together for one week. I hear some stomachs grumbling. Fasting doesn't have to be fasting from food. It can be fasting from any number of different things. You can fast from food. You can fast from media, television, the internet. You can fast from fast food, caffeine. Fast from something that matters, though. Put it aside for one week so that you can align your head and your heart more closely with God so you can hear what he has to say to you about your own involvement in the building of Elevation Church. What area of involvement should you be in? Where should you be serving? How should you be bringing the skills, the talents, the abilities, whatever resources you have to the building project? Fast and pray one week. Start tonight, and we'll break the fast together next Sunday. Start tonight fasting from something. Take this afternoon. Talk as a couple. Talk as a family. Decide what it is you're going to fast from. We'll involve our children. We're, we know we're going to do a media fast in the Hamilton household. There will be no television, and the only internet that we'll be doing is what's required for me to build next week's message and for Trina to do her job. But we're going to have a full-out media fast. My, I'll turn off the ticket in my truck. No sports radio, 1310. Not going to do it. Not even going to turn on Christian music. I'm going to listen to what God has to say to me about my own involvement. I'm going to check myself. I'm going to invite him into the process. And then the other thing I want you to be praying about as you fast through this next week is this. I arbitrarily picked a number, and it may not be the number God gives you, so seek a number from him. But at least five families. Pray for the names of at least five families, people that you know that are right out here in our area, in our community, who are outside of the church, who are outside of the family of God, and pray about an opportunity to invite them in. 
we're going to enter into a 52-day challenge. We're going to start the 52 days with a seven-day fast. Over the next 52 days, I want to challenge each one of you to get involved in Elevation Church and to invite others to come and get the greatness of what God is giving you here. Salvation, security, love, relationships, community, all of those benefits. It's too good to keep to ourselves. We need to share that. We need to invite others in, and we need to involve ourselves in the doing over the next 52 days. Next weekend, we'll have an opportunity for you to tell me what area you want to be involved in. And next weekend, I want you to bring with you a written list of those five names. I'm not going to call them. This is not insurance sales. I will not do that. But I do, we do have something cool planned that I want you to do with those. So bring them, written down, five families that are outside of the church that you want to invite in to Elevation Church. And as we do this, as we practice those P principles, as we take these two categories of involving and inviting, as we apply all of that together as a team, we will build the dream that God has called us to build. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for this message, for the challenge in my life. Father, I pray that you are challenging every person that's here and each one who will hear this message, whether it's on the podcast or the website or CD or whatever, God. Father, I pray that as we engage this challenge, as we follow Nehemiah's principle, of praying and preparing, of fasting, of really letting you speak into our hearts and into our lives. Father, I pray that you would indeed speak in a voice and that we would understand what our role is in involvement and who it is that you would have us to invite. God, I pray that each one of us, that our hearts and our heads would be aligned with yours on this building project, that we would not seek to build out of our own strength or out of our own desires, or for our own glory, but God, that we would build what you have planned. That we would build it for your glory. That you would strengthen our hands and our hearts. Prepare us for the challenges that lie ahead so that we can persevere. And ultimately, God, we pray for the victory, the day, 52 days from now. Who knows what you can build with a team like this. In 52 days, the, the team that Nehemiah built put together a wall miles long and many feet high and thick, and, and, and you've called us to be involved and invite. And what can we build as we involve and invite? And we look forward to that victory. We pray for that day, God, that we would see amazing results never before seen, never imagined, things that are bigger than our, 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 ourselves, things that will blow our minds. May we be faithful to the building plan that you've given us, the plan of the P principles and of involving and inviting. In Jesus' name, amen.